Good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. It is such a blessing to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. I want to share a scripture out of Job with you. And most of you know the story of Job. All these bad things were happening in his life. He lost his kids. He lost his possessions. He broke out in all these boils on his body. And it just seemed like darkness was closing in around his life. Darkness was all around him. And sometimes we don't understand what's happening in life. Job, in his grief, didn't understand what was happening. He couldn't see God's plan in all of it. But honestly, what's important is not whether or not we understand what's going on, but how we react in that moment and how we respond to God. Let's read that verse this morning, Job 1, 21. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, in his darkest hour, in his moment of great pain, made the choice to praise God and to bring, bring glory to his name, to say, God, you are still good. And I pray that the Lord would teach us how to do that this morning because there is power in that praise. There's power in that faith that says, God, you are still good. God, I thank you that you're righteous. I thank you that you're always right. You're never wrong, God. And I have faith and I have trust in you. And this morning as we sing, I want us all to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Lord, I give you glory and I give you honor and I give you all the praise. Amen. Let's sing together this morning. Blessed be the name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn 
sing this out. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Oh, blessed be your name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, sing is called gratitude and we sang it on Thursday at Mr. Tim Hass's funeral and the reason that we wanted to sing it again today is because it ministered to our hearts so much you know sometimes we feel like we have nothing to offer to the Lord sometimes it's a dark dark night but no matter what season we're in we can always give the Lord praise we can always choose to bless him we can always choose to worship so let's do that this morning let's tell the Lord how much we love him how much we want to bless him with our hearts today and with our worship oh my words fall short I've got nothing new how could I express I can sing these songs as I often do. Every song must stand, but you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. So Just one move 
today, Lord. You are worthy of all of our praise. It's the only gift that we have that's fit for our King is all of our praise. We ask that you accept our praise and our worship from a humble heart today. We love you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's worthy today. You may be seated. Welcome to all of you in the house of the Lord today. That was Tim Haz's favorite song, and that's why Stacy and the girls wanted to sing it on Thursday. But when I get to heaven, I am going to ask Tim why he never shared it with us, because Matt and Sarah both said they had never heard it, and it was such a powerful and awesome song and really ministered to our hearts. Uh, on behalf of the Haas family, they wanted me to let you know 
that they were overwhelmed with all of the love and support that you have shown as a church family to them during their time of loss. Stacy had texted me yesterday and said, I am beyond words. She said, of course, the most important thing I know to her was the prayers and the cards and the text and the words of encouragement during their time of loss, but also the acts of kindness. She said all of the cooking and the cleaning and guys showing up at her house to do yard work. She said there was somebody that even bought groceries for them. She said it was truly an outpouring from the family of God. And she said in all the, it was such a difficult, we know, and painful time, but she said it made it so much easier for the kids and I to be able to walk through this with the love and the support of our church family. She said not only was it a witness to so many who commented on just all of the love and support, but she said such a blessing to us. And that was the last sentence in the text. She said, we are blessed. And so we, that's what the family of God is all about. Calling to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know how people get through difficult times without a church family. And we thank you and the Haas family thanks you for supporting and loving them during this time. I also want to let the youth and the youth parents know that we will be having youth service here tonight, 5 to 7, over in the youth building. Then they'll be going out to the gym for a little while for a time of fellowship. Chef Gary's fixing hamburgers and french fries and feeding them dinner tonight. So youth come out and be a part of uh, youth night tonight. And our missions offering focus today, we are going to honor the men who have devoted their lives to preaching the gospel. We're going to give twofold today, one through Mission Dignity that helps those retired pastors in need of financial assistance. And then we're also going to send a personal love offering to a pastor. And I'm going to share that with you in just a little while. But Pastor Kevin had been preaching last week on honoring one another within the body of Christ. If you missed that, if you missed those notes and those scriptures, if you missed that message, go back and listen online. Powerful message about honoring one another within the body. The Bible says in Romans to give honor to whom honor is due. And I want you to look at another scripture in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 17, if y'all put that up. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Some translations will say, especially those who preach and teach. Those are counted, God said, as not only deserving honor, but deserving double honor. And we are called to live out that word as a church and to honor these men before they go home to be with the Lord for their service to the Lord. You know, Pastor Kevin and I, when we traveled in evangelism for five years, 
we lived life with these guys. We would stay in their home many a time for a week, and we know the pain that they went through and the difficulties and the the things that they went through in ministry. And to be honest, a lot of times they did not feel honored. They felt dishonored a lot of times and that their life had not meant anything to anybody and no one appreciated them at all. But before those guys leave the earth, the Lord wants us to obey the word and to show them that someone is going to honor them for their lives in ministry. We have a particular pastor that we want to send a love offering to out of this offering today. As we give to Mission Dignity, we want to also send a love offering to Brother Malcolm Ellis. He's a little bit younger than the guys that we usually send a love offering to. He's probably in his mid-60s. We usually send to pastors in their 70s or 80s. But he has been a man that has been steadfast and faithful and true to God's word for years and years and years. He was in evangelism for many, many, many years, had a great ministry. And in fact, if you wanted to book him to come to your church, he was booked two years in advance. That's how sought after he was. He was an awesome preacher and Bible teacher. In recent years, he's taken a church in Texas to pastor. He's unable to travel as much, but still pastoring now. Pastor Kevin and I, we're want to reconnect with him and either hand deliver or if we can't get there, we're going to mail that offering to him in Texas and say, your life has not gone unnoticed. We as a church body want to give honor to you and to your ministry and how you've affected the kingdom. The Lord has allowed us to do this as a church several times. We've had some of those guys, you'll know, they could barely get on the platform, still come and preach to us. And that, it blessed us, but it blessed them too. They would weep in the car on the way to lunch and said, you don't know how this has blessed me. We would send love offerings as a church to different ministers and they would write notes that would bring tears to our eyes and say no one has ever said those kind words to us or honored us like your church body and we want to say this has affected our lives greatly and you know what we want to continue to do that we want to give honor to whom honors do we want to give double honor to those who labor in the word and doctrine because when we honor who God honors God honors us and so let's come today ushers and receive the morning missions offering as we give to these pastors retired pastors for mission dignity as we give to brother Malcolm and say that we honor him for his faithful service to the Lord. Let's stand and bring our offering. Greet one another as you come.
Amen. Well, good to see you in the house of the Lord. Uh, they honored me so much they forgot my pulpit there for a little bit. Because they don't want to hear me preach today. I don't know. I'm so glad we may have a little sun in the forecast without rain for a couple, two or three days. Unless that's, that's the last thing I heard. I'm going to try to get my grass cut. Anybody excited about trying to get that done? Let's just bail it. Amen. That's all we can do. God is good. God is good in those seasons when it rains and it rains and it rains and we, we like, okay, today and it rains again and it just rains and it rains and it rains and it rains. God's got a purpose for every season under heaven. Then all of a sudden you say, man, I wish we had some sunshine. All of a sudden the grass is brown and we're begging for a rain shower, and we're begging for a rain shower, and it misses us, and we're begging for a rain shower. Isn't that just like we are in life? But I tell you, God knows what he's doing. He knows when to let it rain, and he knows when to withhold the rain. He knows how to direct your hearts perfectly in everything that we're doing in life. He knows what to do when we're in the valley, and he knows what to do when we're on the mountaintop. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I know how to be full and to suffer hunger. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And so let's just give God glory and praise for whatever season you find yourself in today and know that God's got a purpose. There's something he wants to learn, wants you to learn, and there's something that he is directing you into if we would just obey him and give him praise no matter what. I want to preach a message today, and I'm going to pray in just a moment, but we're going to look back at Matthew 11, 28. I can't get this word from the Lord out of my life, out of my heart. It's really impacted me, and it's given me really a picture of what Jesus is doing in my life. As Jesus is giving us a word picture using a yoke, I want to read it in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, everybody in this room, maybe you don't say it out loud, maybe you don't request it before the Lord, but you want rest in your life. You really do. You're looking for it. You're trying to find that solution to your life's problem so that you can finally just settle down, take a deep breath, and be at rest. We all need it. We all pursue it in many different ways, but Jesus tells us how to do that today. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And honestly, it seems like a contradiction for Jesus to offer us a yoke in order for him to give us rest. It is what we call a divine paradox. If I'm going to win, I must be willing to lose. And if I'm going to receive, I must be willing to give. And if I'm going to live... I must be willing to die. This is the gospel. If I had the pleasure today of leading somebody or preaching or speaking, communicating the gospel to someone, and I hope I get that opportunity, I would probably go to Matthew eleven twenty eight and talk about it because everybody needs rest for their soul. And how do you do that? When you take 
the yoke of Jesus and submit to the lordship of Christ in your life. Following his heart, following his ways, in that dying to yourself is how you find life and rest in eternal life, forgiveness of your sins and overcoming this world that we live in. And so today, this message I preach to you is so vital. It is so vital. It is the gospel. So let's pray that God would open our heart today, right now, Lord. We need revelation. Every one of us need revelation. We don't want to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't want to hear the opinions of the world. And we don't even want to hear religion, Lord. We need revelation from your heart. Speak to our hearts. Give everybody grace to hear and understand as we minister your word today. And all God's people said, Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When I was a young man, when I was a young pastor, young preacher, if someone said, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. gospel is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Paying for sin's price. Believe it upon him. You'll have eternal life. I could spout off what the gospel is and talk about it quite readily. At this juncture in my life, as I have preached the gospel, as I have ministered to many people over the years, I find myself asking the question, what is the gospel? And how do you preach the gospel to every creature. If you turn to Revelation, you're going to see this moment in time where God is pouring out judgment upon the earth. He could have just vanquished them all to hell just like that. But he's going to bring this population of people through a seven years, what we call tribulation. And induce suffering in their life that they have never known. The world governments are going to collapse. Everything is going to fall apart. Nobody can fix it. It's going to be a mess. <laughs> and in that time, we read where God sends forth an angel. An angel flying and circumnavigating the globe, preaching the everlasting gospel. And he says this, and we see it in God's word. Here's the gospel that he preaches. Fear God and give him glory. The one who created all that you see, the streams and the deserts and the oceans and the hills and the mountains, fear that God and give him glory. And that's all he said. I want you to notice he didn't talk about God's love. He didn't talk about how if you believe in God and put your faith in God and believe upon his son, that all of your problems are going to end. He didn't say anything like that. Just said, fear God in your suffering. Fear God and give him glory despite your pain. There's going to be a multitude of people who are going to believe the gospel and be saved. We see that in Revelation chapter 7. A multitude, John said, that no man can number standing before of every tongue, tongue tribe, nation. Praise God for that. Oh, my God. Thank you, Lord. It's going to end in a good way, but it's going to take some doing to get us there. But then there was other people there who 
shook their fist at God. And they blasphemed the God of heaven who caused all these plagues and these problems and this suffering. And the Bible said they wouldn't give him glory, nor did they repent. What is the gospel? What is the gospel that Jesus preached? Luke 9 now it happened as they journeyed, journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the spiritually dead bury their own physical dead for you. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now these are seekers coming to Jesus. And Jesus is preaching the gospel to them. Another, Lord, another one said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Like it or not, Jesus wasn't always so seeker friendly. And he really didn't even balance anything here with the promise of what you will get if you do these things. He just threw it out there. He did the same thing in Luke 14. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, does he want them all to be saved? Absolutely. That's why he came. That's what he's on the planet earth for. He's preaching the gospel to them. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother, brothers and sisters. I bet that put him back on their heels. What does it mean to hate your father and your mother? That you grit your teeth and you despise them? No, not at all. In other places, it's a little bit easier to understand when he said, if you love your father, your mother more than me, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Can't, can't be my disciple. Jesus said in Matthew 10, and it's quite provoking as you think about it in the world that we're living in. Jesus said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't. I came to bring a sword. I came, and I'm quoting, I came to set a man against his father. And a father against his son, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and so forth. And a man's enemies would be those of his own household. This, this, this gospel that Jesus is preaching, see, these are relationships. These are very painful things that Jesus is talking about. And yet it is the gospel that he is preaching. He said, if you don't hate your own life, if you will choose your pleasure, your ways above my ways, that's what it means to hate your father. If you will choose his ways, his pleasure above my ways and my pleasure, you cannot be my disciple. If you do that on your own life, if your pleasure is paramount in your life, you cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower? Does it sit down and count the cost? 
Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. He wasn't able to cross the finish line. He wasn't able to keep the faith, like Paul said. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot, cannot be my disciple. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus was saying, you say you want to follow me wherever I go, but you don't understand the way I go. You aren't aware of this, but you aren't ready for the way I go. The way that I go is marked with suffering. The way I go is filled with hardship. The way I go will bring much pain, much opposition, and much sorrow of heart. Before you choose the way I go, you need to take the time to consider and count the cost because only those that endure to the end, those who finish in faith and keep their hand to the plow will enter the kingdom of God. As we're living today in the gospel that we're preaching in the mindset of people everywhere, we all get into it. We don't mean to. It just happens. It creates a culture. And sometimes the culture of Christianity gets skewed a little bit by our wrong thinking. Many people say they want to live for God, but they aren't willing to suffer for God. Many people want to gain heaven, but they aren't willing to lose anything here on earth. You see, the invitation to be yoked with Christ is an invitation to suffer with Christ to literally participate in his suffering. The gospel that we preach promises an end to a life of suffering. But the gospel that Jesus preaches promises a life that will be marked by suffering. 2 Timothy 3, yes, and all who desire to live godly. That's me, right? That's you. In Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, that's just for a few people. That's, that's just for those great leaders. And those men that Pastor Lisa was talking about, that's their life. Yes, and all who desire to live godly will suffer. I want to tell you what suffering is. Let's do it this way. I start out trying to get a definition for suffering. Let's do it this way. If you feel no pain or pressure, you ain't suffering. Now, excuse my grammar today, but it just sounds a lot better than saying you are not suffering. It sounds better to say you ain't suffering. Preaches better, right, Justin? If there's no struggle within, you ain't suffering. If there's no temptation to give in, you ain't suffering. If it makes sense, if you completely understand, you ain't suffering. If you can fix it, you ain't suffering. If there's no cost involved, if there's no loss incurred, you ain't suffering. If you are getting your own way, you ain't suffering. 
It's amazing how the Lord will eliminate those people who follow them out of what they can get from Jesus. I feed the 5,000. Everybody's on board. Okay, listen, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have eternal life. You need to yoke yourself with me because I'm going places that fish and loaves won't carry you. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, get yoked with me. I don't want to date you. I want to become one with you. Deuteronomy 8, I'm going to save you out of Egypt by a mighty powerful hand with signs and wonders. And it's going to be an amazing thing. I'm going to part seas, but let me tell you what I'm going to do, Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to lead you all the way in the desert. And I'm going to circle you around here and there so that nothing makes sense. And I'm going to suffer thee to hunger. I'm going to make you hungry. I'm going to lead you to places where it looks like I have forsaken you because I want to know what you're going to do when you don't get your way. And it looks like God doesn't care. God is going to deal with the motivations of our hearts. Only God could do what he does and think how he thinks. It's amazing to me. The population of the planet. Not one single thought. Can you imagine not one single thought was directed toward God and wanting to give him glory and wanting to fear God? Not one thought. Every thought was continually away from God. God was sorry that he made man and he pronounced judgment on the planet. And he builds an ark and he calls Noah, and the Bible said that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did Noah find grace? Because he feared God. He was going to give God glory in his life, and he preached righteousness and what's right to those crowd, that crowd of people, and God's got a plan. And I'll be honest with you. If I'm just thinking about this, this is God. He can do anything. I would have made it a little bit easier on Noah, to be honest with you. I'm going to make a, a means for your salvation. I'm going to put you in a boat. It's, boat. it's going to be this long, this wide, this high. It's going to have this window. It's going to have this door. It's going to be need to be, need to be, and it's going to keep you afloat. It's going to save your soul. But you got to build it just the way I want it, and I'm not going to help you. You're going to build it yourself. I don't know how many years they've tried to calculate it, knowing his three sons and their and his daughter-in-law has built this boat. Can you imagine building this monstrosity of a boat to save? See, I'm going to get saved, but I'm going to suffer in my salvation. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to, have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to have to endure the will of God so that I can receive the promise. Man, he's suffering. I'm telling you, I, I built a couple things in my life, and I want to tell you what, I can't imagine building that massive boat with no table saws, no electricity, come on, no generators, no air compressors, come on, no skill saws, no nothing. Just get out there and hand carve this thing out of the woods. I bet that wasn't easy, right? Then he puts him in the boat, and all the animals come. He shuts the door. The floods come, and here's Noah. Only eight souls were saved. And he's floating around this boat, and it wasn't like Gilligan's three-hour tour, amen. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. And the weather started getting rough. And the tiny ship was tossed. Anybody with me? And if not for the courage, Mike, you know what I'm talking about. Can you finish singing it for me? If not for the courage, <laughs> the Moses would be lost. Amen. I'm very corny if you don't know that. Maybe it's your first time here. Now, now me, I would have I would, raised the water, drained the swamp, over with, get on with it, Moses. They stayed on that boat for over a year. Wasn't a pleasure craft. Wasn't a cruise ship. Wasn't no swimming pool. Wasn't no slides, you know, swirling down, twisting down from the third deck to the pool below. There's no shuffleboard. There's no theater shows. There's no ice cream machine dessert bar, which is number one if I ever take a cruise again. It's just suffering. It's just day after day after day after day after day after day of, can we just be honest, drudgery and the same old thing. I'm going to feed you manna. I know you want the leeks, the garlic, the onions, and melons. That's over with. This is all you're getting. That's the gospel. This, this world that we're living in, this 2022 America needs to know what the gospel is. It is suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ. Being yoked to him and participating in his suffering. I'm going to read two or three scriptures to you right now. And I'm telling you, you're going to get the notes Tuesday. But I, I desperately want you to hear what God's word, what the spirit of God says to us today. Romans 8, if you've read that, it's so powerful. Been adopted into the family of God. Amen. We've received the spirit of God in our lives when we called out, believed, put our faith in Jesus, confessed our sin, washed in the blood, name added to the Lamb's book of life, Praise God. He's telling us what's going on here. You've been adopted into the family of God. You receive the spirit of God whereby you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. The most intimate term for God. Why do you feel so intimate with God? Because God is in you. But then it says this in verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Praise God! But if we are to share his glory, we must, you preach it, we must also share his suffering. You see, if I'm unwilling to suffer in this life for Christ and with Christ, I cannot know Christ. Philippians 3.10, another powerful word, that I may know him. And everybody in this room, you want to know him. Even if this is, this is your first time attending a church, you want to know him. I want to know him. You want to know him. Well, I want to know him. How do you get to know God? How does God reveal himself to you? 
that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. I like that. <laughs> and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. The Lord showed me this years ago. I, I, I remember preaching this exact same phrase. First of all, preaching it to myself and then preaching it when I was in evangelism. I remember saying this. I cannot know the power of his resurrection without embracing the fellowship of his suffering. Everybody wants resurrection power. Everybody wants to overcome Satan. Everybody wants to over, overcome devils and demons and problems in this life. Everybody wants to do that. And the way you do that is by the resurrection power of Jesus inside of you. But I cannot know the power of his resurrection without embracing the fellowship of his suffering. Can I get one amen right there? Because it's God's word. So they thought different than we do in, in, in the word. I wish I had time to show you how Paul preached the gospel and Peter preached the gospel. This is what Peter says in Peter's 4.12. Dear friend, do not be surprised <clears throat> at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, like we all do. But rejoice <clears throat> that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Do not miss what God is speaking to you right now. I'm suffering. What's going on? God don't love me anymore. I must be doing something wrong. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm feeling sorry for myself. But the Holy Spirit says you got it all wrong, man. You got it all wrong. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing hap is happening to you, but rejoice that you are partic participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God <clears throat> rests upon you. I've pastored enough people in my life to know we are doing the exactly 180 degrees different from what the truth of God's word is. When you go through things that don't make sense in your life and you don't get your way and you're suffering loss and those thoughts of if God loved me and if I were doing the right thing, this would not be happening to me. All of those thoughts are just so wrong. Peter's trying to get it straight here. He said, listen, when that's happening to you, when you are reproached, whether you're reproached on your, in your inner self or you're reproached outwardly, you need to start rejoicing. Don't think it's strange because you're yoked to Jesus and because he suffers, you suffer with him. And actually, it's not that God's left you. It's what Satan is seeing is the spirit of God in glory arresting upon your life. You ever thought about how the apostles died? There's people in this room who never thought about that. Maybe you thought about it, maybe, maybe you don't know the answer to that. Now, some of these that I'm about to share with you are church history and can't be proven per se, but you get the jest for sure. So, if church traditions are correct, this is how the disciples died. 
Matthew suffered martyrdom by the sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on a large olive tree in Greece. John was scarred in a cauldron of boiling oil and lived his last days banished on an island. You know that's Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the less was thrown from a high pinnacle and beaten to death with a club. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was scourged and beaten until he died. Andrew was bound to a cross and preached at the top of his voice to, to his persecutors until he perished. Thomas was run through with a lance. Jude was killed by executioner's arrows. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas suffered the same fate. And Paul, who's preaching and writing we love to study and memorize and apply to our heart, was beheaded in Rome. Do you know that their names, the names of these apostles will be on, will be embossed on the 12 foundation stones of the new Jerusalem. Think about that. When you get to the new Jerusalem, on the foundations of the walls will be embossed Peter, Andrew, John. As you take your little daily stroll around that great city, I want you to understand they will share in the glory of Christ in heaven because they were willing to participate in the suffering of Christ on earth. I promise you these men didn't give their lives because they went in seclusion and just told everybody, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. I promise you they were killed because they were preaching the gospel, the gospel that cost us. <clears throat> Josh walked into my shop the other day. I was studying. I was thinking about this, writing this message, and I said, hey, Josh, you ever heard of John Wesley? Yes, Dad. You ever heard of George Whitfield? <clears throat> yes, Dad. You know why we're still hearing about these guys? You know why we're still reading their books? You know why we're still inspired by their writings? You know why we still look back <clears throat> And want the revival that they participated in? Because these were men, Josh, who endured suffering to the end. I, <clears throat> I'm one of these guys that since I was, no exaggeration, 19 years old, and the Lord touched my heart in a great way and wanting revival and specifically a third great awakening because I had read about the first and the second all the way up through my early 20s. I mean, it's just the bread that I ate, read every book I could get my hands on, longing for one of the most powerful books my mother-in-law, Miss Linda, gave me called Deeper Experiences of the Christian Life. I think I've got that right if you want to look it up by Larson, I think. I read that book a hundred times. And that book was sharing 
what God was doing. And man, I'm telling you, it was doing something inside of me. These great awakenings, I want you to understand something. It took over. It took over the culture of America. Presidents were riding in chariots into secluded places and meetings where this preaching was going on because it was obvious they were turning the world upside down with the preaching and the glory of God falling. Hearts that were so hardened were being broken. Mom was getting saved. Dad's getting saved. Parents getting saved. Kids getting saved. Neighbors getting saved. The saloon operator was getting saved. Theaters were shutting down. Everything that wasn't God was shutting down around them. It was a move of God. And in my early 20s, I was just so, God, do it again. God, do it again. God, do it again. And you know, we tend to talk about the mountaintop experiences in our life, but we tend to forget about what got you to the mountaintop. And that is what you did while you were in the valley. What you do in the moments of suffering determines, listen, how low you get in the suffering is how loud you can shout on the mountaintop. If there's no submission in the valley, there's no shout from the mountaintop. Later on, you know, I finally found some honest writers who would write about these guys. I mean, just in the last decade or so is when I first discovered it. I'm reading John Wesley's journal right now. I got this in a book about Whitfield, chapter 15, I think it says, Contending with the Mob, this one chapter. I'm going, what's this all about? And it talks about this right here. You see, the Methodists, I don't know what they are today, and I I know there's some division. I know there's some way out there getting off, way, way out there. I understand that. I'm not trying to knock anybody down. But I want you to say it was the Methodists that brought revival to America. It was the Methodist preachers that brought revival to America and to Europe. What what, What did they endure? The, the, The rioters violently entered the Methodist meeting house, interrupted the minister with obscene language, and fell upon him in the most furious manner with blows and kicks. They treated every man that they could could lay their hands upon with such abuse and indignity as, as is not to be expressed. But what is more than all was their abominable treatment of the poor women. Some were strict, stripped quite naked. Others, notwithstanding their most piercing cries for mercy, were forcibly held by some of the wicked ruffians, while others turned their petticoats over their heads and forced them to remain in that condition, the poor creatures being afterward dragged through the sewer. The riot continued for several several hours. Moreover, listen very carefully, and you can read it for yourself because this statement is so accurate. Moreover, this kind of treatment was experienced in all branches of the revival. Uh-oh. Harris's people, Whitfield's people, Wesley's people all suffered at the hands of the mob. Whitfield's entire evangelistic life was an evidence of his physical courage. He met this kind of treatment on numerous occasions in Wales and England and Ireland. 
And the last sentence says, And our hearts go out, however, to the poor Methodist people and their children who almost daily suffered the violence of evil oppressors. And so when I discovered that, I, my zealous, passionate prayers for revival were somewhat <clears throat> not quite as boisterous. I even thought this yesterday. I said, you know, Lord, if I lived in that time and I want revival, I know you want revival. You want revival to sweep across our nation to change judges and supreme courts and legislators and presidents. And we all want revival. We want our kids to grow up in America that is sound and that God fears and that we are a nation under one God. We all want that. But I want to tell you, no legislator is ever going to bring revival to your nation no president, no matter how bad you want him and how wonderful you think he are, he is, he will only hinder revival. Nobody's going to bring revival. Not the teachers, not the coaches, not our mayors, not our governors. Let me tell you who's going to bring revival. You and me, and that's it. We want revival, do you really? So I asked the question, I said, Lord, if I live in that time, if you tap me, I mean, this is me and God just wrestling it out and talking it out. If you tap me and said, I got a job for you, I need need you to preach until revival breaks out in this nation, or community, or town, or church, doesn't matter. Would I have been strong enough and secure enough in my calling And what God is doing in my life, in my understanding of his love and his faithfulness toward me, could I have endured the suffering necessary to bring about the glory? I still don't know the answer to that. You just don't understand the opposition these people went through. Europe, America, it was continual, continual opposition and, 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 and got physical. Let me ask you a question. Could you, if the Lord tapped you and said, hey, I need you to be the congregation that brings revival. I need you to, I need you to be the church that's going to bring revival. But understand this. The way I bring revival is by manifesting Jesus. And the only way I can manifest Jesus is through your life. And when you begin to, when I begin to manifest Jesus in your life, all the opposition that Jesus faced, you're going to face. All the suffering that Jesus faced, you're going to face. Are you up to the task? And so as we, you and I, spend our time praying for revival in our families, in our churches, in our communities, in our nation, understand that revival will never come unless it comes through a suffering, persecuted people. Only way it's going to come. That's why looking at myself and going, God, am I up to the task? Lord, am I just offering lip service? Lord, am I saying I'm 
surrendered, but yet you, like me, like us, every time we go through a little something, we start feeling sorry for ourselves and questioning the faithfulness of God. Listen to me, if, if, if that's who we're going to be, we're never going to experience the revival necessary to get your kids saved. You're never going to have revival to get your mommy and your daddy saved. You're never going to have Jesus manifesting in your home, in your church, in the workplace. You're never going to have the power of resurrection until you embrace the fellowship of his suffering. These men that we talk about experience the power of his presence, the presence of God, because they were willing to participate in his pain and suffering. Put up those pictures of Jesus' trial. This is from the movie Passion. If you've never seen it, fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Mel Gibson, with all of his flaws and failures or whatever, he put together something pretty good there. It's a little Hollywooded up, but didn't pull any punches. What we're seeing here is Jesus, after he's gotten scourged and taken his stripes, taken your stripes upon his body, is standing there and Pilate saying, okay, what shall I do with this man called Jesus? In this certain feast, I'm going to release one of these men to you. Which one do you want it to be? And we see Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, standing there. And then you see Barabbas over there chained Put up the next picture. This is a close-up of, of Barabbas. And Mel Gibson, man, he made him so hideous, so nasty, you know, as the crowd is shouting, free Barabbas! Free Barabbas! But I want to put a little spin on things that maybe you never thought about. I want you to understand that, let me just read this to you first. Luke 23, and they all crowd out at, cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Put that picture back up of those two guys of the, of the trial. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. You see those guys in that armor right there? You know that's the Romans. You know why they're there? Because they're occupying the holy city of God. It would be like China or Russia taking over America. Taking our freedoms. Becoming a police state where we only do what they say we can do. It affects our worship. It affects our life. It affects our prosperity. It affects everything. They were not liked and they were not wanted. They were under Roman occupation. They had to pay taxes to these guys. And you know what? Jesus told them to. There's a coin. What, what inscription is on that coin? That's Caesar's. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But there were these guys called zealots. And they were saying, you know what? This ain't right. 
This suffering that we're enduring, this is not right. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to get militant and we're going to take over and we're going to get rid of these Romans. And Barabbas was one of those guys. There was a certain rebellion in the city. A rebellion against who? Rome. There was a murder committed by Barabbas. Against who? A soldier of Rome. I don't think he was hideous at all. I think he was a hero to the Jews. They wanted more heroes like Barabbas. For them, it was an easy choice. Do I want Jesus just beat up, chained up, scarred up, obviously overwhelmed and and conquered, king of the Jews? Do I want him? Or do I want my hero over there who's fighting to get suffering out of my life? I knew what the word Barabbas meant. I've been knowing that a long time. What I didn't know is that you know what his first name was? It's in a, probably in a footnote in your Bible. His first name was Jesus. Jesus was a common name. What shall I do with these men called Jesus? Barabbas, those of you who know a little bit of Bible and language, is bar meaning son. We, we know what Abba is, right? Father. He is Jesus, the Son of the Father. He is Jesus, the Son of the Father. But only one of them is the Christ, the Messiah. To choose Jesus Barabbas means that we're going to have somebody fighting for us again to get this suffering that God has sovereignly allowed in our life. And it ain't changing. Even when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, his own disciples said, after Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, you're going to endure it with power from on high, wait there, you know, you're going to get filled with the Spirit of God. They said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Everybody wanted Rome gone. But God put them there, and God chose to keep them there, and it didn't get any better. It got a lot worse if you read your history books. To follow him is my struggle against suffering in my life. To follow him? It's a life of suffering. When they led him away to be crucified, he, the cross was laid upon his back and he's carried through the streets of Jerusalem. They think they know the path that he was traveling on. As he walked through Jerusalem with jeering crowds, cursing and spitting upon him, yanking at his beard, cursing, despising him. You know what the name of that road is? Anybody know? Amen. It is the Via Dolorosa. You know what that means? The way of... I went to Matt Adorosa. 
You know what that means? Mother of suffering. To follow this guy, I got to go down the Via Della Rosa. And you know what happened at the end of the Via Della Rosa? Golgotha, cross, dying. Wasn't a hard choice for those people. And I'm going to be honest with you, if you were in that crowd, I know we all think we would recognize Jesus. We would all do the right thing. Da, 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 da. I get that. But I'm telling you, if the church at large was in this crowd, you know what they'd be shouting? Give us Jesus Barabbas. Only the few shouted, give us Jesus the Christ. The many shouted, give us Jesus Barabbas. Second Corinthians 11 says this, but I fear that somehow, leave that up please. I fear somehow that your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a, you can't see it, different Jesus. Can y'all put that up and like put it right back up? I know I misled you. I want you to see it. You happily put up with it, whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you receive or a different kind of what? I want you to understand there is a real Jesus out there and hopefully in here. And there's a different Jesus and there's a, there's a gospel. There's a gospel that I'm praying we're preaching it as accurately as we know how. God help us. And there's a different gospel. And there's a real spirit, the spirit of God. And everybody claims to know him. But I promise you, there's a different spirit out there. And you know how you know the difference? The one that is preaching a gospel of ease and pleasure and Jesus is going to fix all your stuff in life. You can know that ain't the gospel that Jesus preaches. The gospel that Jesus preaches is going to cost you. Put that up again, please, for me. You see, Jesus Barabbas represents the Jesus that promises salvation with no suffering. Victory with no Via Dolorosa. Jesus Christ with no jeering crowd. Christianity with no cross. Jesus Barabbas is a Jesus that allows for lawlessness, which means you get to do it your own way. Jesus Barabbas allows you to break out and break away from the suffering that God has sovereignly placed in your life that has a divine purpose. Jesus Barabbas lets you avoid the suffering that will be a part of any life that is yoked with Jesus Christ. Jesus Barabbas is a lie. I'm not preaching against churches out there. I'm just preaching to your mind today, my mind. Jesus Barabbas is the Antichrist. It is. It's the Antichrist. Let me read Philippians 3.10 one more time. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Romans 6, 5, for if, 
Put it back up there. My bad again. Golly. See, I don't even know what I'm doing up here, really. I don't. But boy, you need to see this. For if, I used to preach a message back in evangelism, if, the biggest little word in the Bible. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. But if I'm not united together in the likeness of his death, I cannot be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you know that's what baptism is? It's a picture of you dying with Christ. I'm going to talk about buried, I think, in this series. What it means to be buried. The death, burial, and resurrection. I've shared. I've taken his yoke. I am bearing his reproach in my life. I am bearing the suffering that because I belong to Jesus, I've been buried with him. And now because I have submitted to that, I am raised. I share in his resurrection. That's what baptism is. Hebrews 13 says this. I watched the Passion the last two Saturday nights. One half and then second half last night. Discouraging scene, I literally sit up in bed doing this. And I cry. And I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And by his stripes, we are healed. When he's going down the Via Della Rosa and his, his mother, Mary, sees him fall and she's going back in her mind, her little boy falling, Yeshua! And they, Mel Gibson goes back, oh, it's Hollywooded up, and man, it's powerful. I cry like a baby every time. What did Jesus do for us? So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his blood. Somebody say amen right there. Thank you, Jesus. He went outside the city to Golgotha. So let us stand to your feet. So let us go out to him. Come on, somebody. I want revival, really. Let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. The reproach that he bore. When you manifest Jesus in your life, the same jeering crowds that jeer Jesus, they're going to jeer you. The world's going to hate you, Jesus said. Don't give them cause to hurt. You know, we suffer, you can suffer because of evil. Peter says that. We don't want to suffer because of evil. We're going to suffer. We suffer because we belong to Jesus and we yoke to Jesus. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Somebody say amen. amen. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That's the gospel. Going outside the city. See, we all got to make a choice. If this is your first time in church, you've got to make a choice. We all must count the cost. Here's a question you need to ask yourself. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? 
Is it worth it? Been around a lot of people. They're all in the mute. They're all in the preaching. They're all in the, you know, the fellowship and the social activities of a church. They love all of it. I've been seeing it for 30 years. Until they begin to get persecuted because of the word, parable of the sower. And they have no depth and they fall away. I want to tell you, following Jesus and your association with him is going to bring persecution in your life. Amen. I don't care how good you try to be, how wonderful you need to be, you try to be how sweet you need to try to be, you're going to deal with stuff in your life. Sometimes it's our fault, some things we do that we have to deal with because of our own mistakes. Don't get me wrong. What Jesus will I choose? Put the picture back up, please. What Jesus will I choose? I want to ask Matt. Sarah, to please come back up. We're going to sing that song again. What Jesus are we going to choose? What Jesus, Kevin, are you going to choose if, if the Lord is tapping you on the shoulder and answering some prayer that God's going to bring revival? Are you up to the task? And I stand before you today, and I have to say only God can make me ready for that task. Amen. And if God's going to use you to bring revival to your home, revival to your workplace, revival to your church, or what? Are you willing to stand there with your dress over your head? We can't even get church. People show up to church today. We've got air blowing all over us, lights all over the place, smoke machines, music, the best music in all the world, and, you know, wonderful little message. We can't even get people to come to that, that kind of church. What if when you go to church, you get, I left out one sentence. That one, one lady was brought up into the, the balcony, and they tried to rape her. I wonder if we go to church. If God can bring revival through me and you. I have to say, I don't know, God, but you know, and I'm willing that you do anything in my life, God, to have your way. See, the choice that you make has devastating consequences. Are Consequences that you will shout about for all of eternity. Jesus Barabbas, to fight my way out of all the suffering that God places in my life, or the Jesus who leads me down roads that I don't know anything about. Even Jesus said, hey, I don't know the day. Only the Father knows that day. My job is not to figure it all out. He said, it's not for you to know times or season that God has placed in his own authority. That's not your business. That's God's business. When he's going to restore your kingdom. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen. I'm just watching the faces. Blessed be your name. When the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. We don't even know what you're singing. You don't even know what you're singing. It's kind of easy to kind of get into it a little bit, you know, and sing a little bit, but it's, it's a lot harder on Monday morning when your road is marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, to still say, blessed be your name. There was a certain rich man who fared sumptuously every day, clothed in purple. There was a certain beggar outside of his gate Named Lazarus, full of sores. And he begged to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. In the process of time, Lazarus died. And he was carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died. Next verse. And in torments, he lifted up his eyes and said, and he saw Lazarus sitting in the bosom of Abraham and said, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus. Let him dip his finger in some water and come and touch my tongue for I'm tormented in these flames. What did Abraham say, Luke? Son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. You navigated through life, taking the easy road out, escaping from all the pain you could and all the suffering you could. And at some point, you know what? You experience life. <laughs> Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. Life didn't go that well for Lazarus, but obviously he's a born again believer. But now, everybody say now. now. See, eternity and death is the great. It's that moment in time I, I was witnessing somebody this week and I said, I said, listen. And I was pleading with this person. I said, listen, when, the moment you breathe your last breath, you're going to wake up in eternity. And all the demons and devils and the sway that they put, that's all gone. And your power of reasoning will return to you. And you will see the mistakes you've made in life. It's going to be too late. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, there's a gulf between me and you. You can't get there. We can't get there. No crossover. Okay, well, listen. Go home and tell my brothers, please. Tell my brothers because they're doing just what I'm doing. Please. I know they don't get it. I've got revelation now. Please go tell them. They got the Bible. They can hear the Bible. No, no, that's not enough. But if Lazarus comes from the dead and visit them in the night, oh, and they see that apparition, they will know, they will know that it's all real. And Abraham said, if they won't believe the Bible, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead and tells them the truth. Amen. I pray that you feel this today. Is it worth it? Yes! And a million times, yes! And you're going to weep some tears in this life. How do you know that? Because when you get to heaven, God's going to wipe away. You're going to cry in this life. But I want to tell you, I'd rather weep a tear here or there than in that moment when I wake up in eternity and Jesus said there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to weep for eternity. I'd rather just cry a few tears now. 
Because even if I'm tormented now, one day I will be comforted. And the suffering is going to be gone. And there shall be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death and dying. I can't wait for the no more. I'm going to be resurrected and glorified. How about you? You know how I am? Everybody sit down because I got this is part of the invitation. Because I'm going to embrace the fellowship of his suffering in this life. Put a worship setting on, make it dark. It's hard to give an invitation here. People's hearts are tender. We all just move together. We just, that's awesome. I love that about you. I want you to think about your life right now and what's going to unfold in your tomorrow. What you're going to have to endure as you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. I don't know what, what tomorrow holds. But let's just pretend a little bit right now. Let's just pretend we're in Rome, for instance, when the persecution really got bad under Nero. When meeting together meant if you got found out, you died. They would meet in the catacombs and the tombs and places. And you know when they were found out and they wouldn't deny Jesus Christ before the emperor in the, in the great Colosseum, they would turn the animals loose on them as Caesar put a thumbs down and they would die Hundreds after hundreds, maybe thousands and thousands of people died just to stay, keep their allegiance to Jesus. I don't know where America's going, but I'm telling you, it ain't going in a good place. I don't know what tomorrow holds, and we may never get to anything even remotely close to that. But I want you to act like or pretend like you're living in Rome right now. And to come and be with the people of God and hear God's word preached. If God found out, you would die. I want you to go back to the first great awakening and we, you know, we sing and we're so excited about what God did and do it again, Lord. And we sing about it. Do it again. Do it again. We sing about it. But what if the revival that's needing to come, it has to come through us, is going to mean terrible pain and suffering, humiliation. You know, we want our politicians to get up there and we say, listen to me, you need to get in there and you need to represent me and you need to get out. Listen, but you don't understand what I'm facing up here. I don't care. You need to get up there and you need to do, right? But when it comes to what we are in this church or any church, we don't want no abuse. We don't want any suffering. We don't want to deal with any of that stuff. But what if God was to bring another great awakening? What? If he tapped you, would you be willing? If you count the cost, is it worth it? If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor Kevin, I don't understand it all. I don't understand everything about today's message, but I get it. And I'm like you, I don't know exactly what I would do in certain situations, but I know that God could give me grace. And I'm willing, I'm willing to lay down my life for Jesus. If it costs me everything I have, everything that I am, I want to embrace the fellowship of his suffering.
so that I can experience the power of his resurrection. If that's you today, listen to me. I want you to, what I'd say, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to sit back down. Wait a minute. I don't want you to do it because somebody's standing. Because get, get, it, get it darker out there. I don't, I don't want to see them this between them and Jesus. I want you to stand up. I want you to sit back down. I wish you could do it, be like a one at a time kind of thing. I don't want you to, I didn't want to bring everybody up because everybody, we get, we get in the crowd, we do that. I want you to think about, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to go outside the camp and bear his reproach in your life? If that's you, just stand to your feet and sit back down right now. Sit back down. Sit back down. Sit back down. Sit back down. Oh, oh, you messed up. Let's start it again. Hold up. Oh, 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 oh. See, once I get enough people standing, then I go, okay, let me stand up. I don't want to do that. Let's do that again. Listen to me. Stand up, sit back down. Just wait a second. Let's let people stand up and sit down, right? Sit back down. Sit back down. All across this room. Come on. Answering the call to Jesus, not because of the crowd. The crowd is saying, give me Jesus, Barabbas. But the few are saying, give me Jesus, the Christ. And I will go down the path of Via Dolorosa with Jesus. The way of suffering. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm not ready for all that kind of stuff. Listen to me, I'm saying this with all the love and gentleness I possibly can. You can't be saved until you are ready. It's not just a forgiveness of sin. It is a losing your life to the will of God. Letting Him do what He wants to do in your life. And oh, we all can say it. And I've said it a million times. Lord, whatever you need to do in my life. Then He starts doing it. Somebody just agree with me. You know what I'm talking about. Then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, look at you. Ah. Right? Don't let the devil get on you. Know who you are. Know you belong to Jesus. And know because you belong to Jesus, you will bear in your body the marks of Jesus, like Paul said. And it's not just about enduring it. It's about trusting Him in it and praising God through it. That is worship. Worship isn't a song. It's not a slow song and praise is a fast song. Worship is the posture of your heart and bowing to Jesus' lordship in the valley so that when you become obedient to the point of death, you can be exalted with Jesus. That's where I'm at. I don't know what tomorrow holds, I don't know a week, I don't know a month, I don't know a year, I don't have any idea. But I know Jesus is going to help me all the way. And I'm going to do my best to let him navigate me through life so that one day he says to me, and I can't wait to hear these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of God.
of the Lord, to the kingdom that's been prepared for you before the foundations of the world. I want to go to the new Jerusalem. I don't have to have my name in boss nowhere. But I'm going to high-five those guys. Hey, man, great job. I just want to be there. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we sing a little bit of this, this worship song. Give him gratitude and praise as you're looking back over your life and all the things you just look murky and muddy and you don't know what was going on, what was happening. You fought, you tried to go out to Jesus Barabbas. You did all those things in your life. We've all done it. Ask the Lord to forgive you today and say, Lord, teach me from your word today and help me. Help me to be a true worshiper. Oh, my words. I've got nothing new How could I express Oh my gratitude I beseech you therefore my brethren By the mercies of God That you present yourselves A living sacrifice Wholly acceptable unto the Lord Every song do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Praise you again and again. So that I have Any living sacrifices in the building today? See, when you're suffering, that's all you know to do. And that's all you're supposed to do. Stop trying to get yourself out. Start singing hallelujah. Which means celebrate Yahweh. I've got one response. Prepare us for revival, Lord. I've got Prepare our weak hearts for revival, Lord. We need our family saved. We need our neighbors saved. We need to sow a seed of righteousness into this nation. So I throw up my hands and praise you again Forgive me for putting my faith in a legislator or a president or a judge. Nothing else fit for a king except for a heart seeming hallelujah. So come on, us. Don't you get shout me, lift up your Jesus tell Tim I said hello to him. Tell him I said hello. Get up and come and Oh come on my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those. Get up and 
Don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord If you want Jesus, lift up your hands come on my soul I don't know don't him, Pastor You, get shy on you can know him right now, just plug in take your yoke I know you're going to give me rest so I throw up my hands praise you again and again cause all that I have is a Except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you, you're dismissed.